Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to another episode of Be You with Declan Edwards. Now, if you're a long-time listener of the podcast, you know I get weirdly excited every time we have a guest in studio to share their knowledge and insight, and this episode is no different because we have the amazing Claire Jones with me in studio today. And Claire and I actually go back quite a while. We met at university and then we got Claire to come along to one of our first ever retreats and we've uh, had her as a guest speaker before. And consistently we've seen our members and people in our audience get so much value and knowledge from Claire that we went, we've got to get her back on the podcast. We've got to do an episode. We were just talking about the best way to introduce Claire. We said uh, she's a non-diet dietitian, which my dad joke was then, okay, so she's an ishin. It's a dietitian with diet taken out. Uh, We love her approach to things like mindful eating and building a much better long-term positive relationship with food and exercise and with your body and just not being so hard on ourselves. So there's so much value that Claire's going to bring to this episode. I highly encourage you to tune in for the whole interview. And with that said, we're going to welcome her onto the podcast. Okay, Claire, welcome to the podcast, welcome to the studio, thank you for coming in today. Thanks, Declan. I know it was a uh, last minute notice, this is also being recorded and filmed for YouTube and uh, you did a workout just before this. So it was <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I did not plan to shower, I really did not plan to shower, but the things I did for you. You nailed it, perfect timing. <laughs> um, so for those who don't know you yet, those tuning in either via YouTube or via um, Spotify or uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever our podcast is... How do you introduce yourself and tell people about what you do? Because I think it's fascinating. I think it's amazing. I think there's such a need for it in the health and well-being industry. How would you go about sort of telling that story to people? It is complicated Mm. (laughs) and it is kind of hard to describe. Um, The most basic way would be is I help people to understand how to care from their bodies. So how to understand, to listen to their bodies and let their bodies be basically their own dietitian, their own health coach, their own PT. Um, We all have this innate ability to know what is good for us. Um, But I think we're living in a society where we have all of this external information saying you should do this, you should do that, you should eat at this time. Um, when really I think a lot of us have lost that ability to actually tune into ourselves. So it's how do we learn to tune into ourselves and then how do we incorporate a useful amount of external information? Yeah, I think that's, yeah, and it's a really cool thing. And obviously I've seen firsthand the difference that that makes and and I really value your approach to it. What got you into this? What got you so passionate about and fascinated? Because as I mentioned at the start, we obviously met at university. We were both studying nutrition and dietetics. Um, tell me more about sort of why this approach. So I guess a bit of a backstory as to why I went into nutrition and dietetics. There were actually a few other things in my life that I loved at that time. So I was looking at, do I go, do I try out for NIDA? Do Mm. I be a vet? I absolutely loved animals and I love science. Um, I love neuroscience and mental health. But I think at that time I was going through my own process of wanting to live in a smaller body, wanting to be Mm. fitter, wanting to look good. And I think subconsciously I knew that um, I thought doing a degree in dietetics will help me get there and help me stay like that for the rest of my life. Um, As I moved through the degree, I realized um, how unhelpful a lot of the information was. Mm. And I realized that a lot of the practices that we were recommending, one, weren't working in in the long term, and two, Mm. they weren't really supportive of an overall lifestyle. So I was pretty disengaged you know I was quite disengaged with the course and it wasn't until I discovered 
intuitive eating, non-diet, um, which was stuff that I was coming to learn in myself. I was like, clicked. I was like, this is, this is it. Yeah. This, this is how we're supposed to do it. Why waste life? trying to know like what exact nutrients are in what thing and counting your calories. Mm. And it's just, it just doesn't make sense. It just didn't make sense to me. So um, read a few things, went to a few lectures and then it just went from there. And I just wanted to absorb as much information as possible. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I think it's so valuable. I see the people who make the biggest change in other people's lives. I mean, our saying we used to be is eat the shit you sell, mm-hmm. right? Like if it's good enough for everyone else, it's good enough for you first. And yeah. so I think the people who make the biggest change are the ones who do come from that personal background and journey of going, okay, well, this is where I was. It wasn't working. It wasn't good for me long-term. So that's why I started looking into this and went, oh, my God, like more people need to know about this. Like this has to be spread. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned a couple of terms in there, intuitive eating um, being one, like a non-diet approach. Tell me about those. Like what does that mean for people? So for people that is finding that balance between how do I listen to my body and also incorporate some external knowledge. Mm. Um, so the intuitive meat eating model would be a process of relevant to someone who has a history of chronic dieting yep. or feels like they are out of control around food. So they're constantly needing to add in these rules mm. and are noticing that their relationship with food or with their body or exercise is something that taking away from the other aspects of their life. So it's not actually adding value or maybe they're um, looking after themselves in a place that's very, comes from a really negative space. Mm. There's something wrong with me. So I have to control what I'm eating versus mm. I love and cherish my body. What does my body want right now? Yeah. So there's steps to go into that process is we won't have time to go through it yeah. today, but it's basically looking at taking the moral value away from food. Yeah. So one type of food isn't bad, one type of food isn't good, being hungry isn't bad or good. Mm. And literally, I guess, using some of those mindfulness principles of going, in this moment, what does my body want and what does my body feel good eating? Yeah. And it's a it's a process. It's not like anything. It's yeah. not just like, oh, I'm a intuitive eater. It's really easy. Yeah. You know, I still have – last night I – don't I rarely watch TV at the moment, but I know as soon as I watch TV, I actually do that non-hungry eating and yeah. I just grab the stuff and I don't notice. And a big part of that and something that I stress a lot if someone's on this journey is to not feel guilty about that Yeah. because you recognize, oh, when I watch TV, this happens. Yeah. And if it still happens and you might have been doing practicing intuitive eating for years, there's actually nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a real thing to keep in mind if you are, if you have been looking at these terms or you've been looking up um, how to stop emotional eating to recognize mm. that that's actually not a bad thing yeah. and it's not something to feel guilty about. Yeah, yeah. which I think is amazing. And um, I love that you mentioned, you know, this isn't a, it's a skill, right? And like any other skill, it's going to take time to take practice. There's going to be times where you fuck it up, where you yeah. fall off the horse. <laughs> that's fine. Right? That's part of learning. I think whenever it comes to an internal skill, uh, we notice the same thing in, in our coaching and emotional intelligence and building a greater awareness of what's happening in our body emotionally. Um, people seem to think they're meant to just get it straight away, <laughs> yeah. right? And But if I said to someone, we regularly use this analogy, if I said to you like, okay, I want you to be fluent in German and you go and do one class on it, do you think you're going to be fluent straight away? And they're like, well, of course not. It's like, <laughs> do you think maybe it's the same with you know, emotional intelligence and with intuitive eating and 
yeah, you'll start to get the hang of it and then there'll be days when you stuff up and that's fine. Yeah. Um, I love that you highlight that because I think there is such a trend for people to go, right, I'm now like listening to my body, I'm intuitive eating, I'm looking at myself. Oh, no, I wasn't intuitive today. Right? <laughs> so yeah. That means I've failed at this intuitive business. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then you're turning that into a diet, right? into a rule. Yeah. It's, the, it's not the hunger fullness diet. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's the approach around it. Yeah, yeah which is so beautiful. And I'm just uh, thinking with, you know, I, I looked up something the other day, and especially for, the, for this interview, and it shocked me. I didn't realize these were the current stats. But um, currently what they're looking at is, you know, disordered eating and body image issues are in the top three health concerns for young Australians. Yeah. So for Australians under 18. Is that the Butterfly Foundation? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're looking at the research from the Butterfly Foundation and from Better Health Victoria. And I was like, oh my God, like what is going on here? I'd love to get your sort of insight on why is that happening? Like why do you, what do you think is contributing to that? I think there is likely to be a lot of reasons, um, mm. and I think we could spend hours oh, on yeah. for sure. Um, and it's probably going to be a large combination of reasons. Yeah. Um, it's never going to be, you know, you've got disordered eating because this one thing happened, yeah. or you've got an eating disorder because this one thing happened. I yeah. think it's an accumulation. Mm. Um, there's the obvious stuff that we see, um, so seeing things like social media yeah. out there. Um, there was a real spike at one point thinking about our mothers, for example, mm. for one of the reasons. Um, growing up and seeing a mum who is, say, on Weight Watchers can yeah. be one of the things that can contribute to it. You imagine you're saying, oh, it's wrong to listen to my body because yeah. kids don't grow up restricting themselves. You watch a kid and then you try and give them some food and then they tell you when they've had enough. Yeah. They're not going to eat more than that or they will cry and tell you when they're hungry and they don't feel guilt around that. Mm. So it's a learned behaviour that we learn that we need to control what we're eating and it's looking at where does that come from. Um, in terms of women, there's a high association with perfectionism. Yeah. And um, looking at the psychology um, and sort of trauma that comes behind that is yeah. fascinating. Um, so thinking about myself over the years of trying to figure out what contributed to my disordered eating. Mm. So I haven't had a clinically defined eating disorder. And I yeah. think that's a really good point um, that I want to get across is a lot of people feel that just because I didn't have a clinical defined eating disorder doesn't mean like it means that I'm not worthy of seeking help. Yeah. Um, but any level of distress in your life, it's important to look at it and it's totally valid everything you're feeling. It's yeah. kind of this idea of, I'm not sick enough. Yeah, which I think our whole, A, mental health and physical health system is almost accidentally built on, right? It's very yeah. reactive. Yeah. Um, and I know I had the same sort of thing, you know, when I was in and out of hospital when we were in first year uni together, struggling with disordered eating, mm -hmm. and it was, I almost felt like, well, hang on, I'm not anorexic, like I'm still eating, and I'm not, you know, purging and binging, so I don't have, like, the ones that are sort of the, almost the poster child at the time yeah. of disordered eating. I was like, so I don't need help. I'm fine. This is all good. Yeah. And yeah, I think so many people, you're right, fall into that trap of I'm not sick enough yet. And it's like, well, let's take a more proactive approach, right? Exactly, exactly. And there's this other idea that you can see an eating disorder in someone. You can yeah. see disordered eating. Um, so looking at, so one thing that I would do, so I work from a health at every size approach. Mm -hmm. So that's basically looking at if someone, if you walked in and then someone who walked in and are living in a, a much larger body, mm -hmm. my approach to take care of them would be the same. 
Yeah. If I was someone who gave a calorie diet or whatever, yeah. I'm not going to go, oh, for you, it would be completely um, distorted for me to say go on 1,200 calories, yeah. which is about a teenager's girl's yeah. requirement. I wouldn't do that for someone living in a larger body yeah. because why do we restrict and cause eating disorder-like behaviours in yeah. one body rather than the other? Yeah. Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. I noticed you've said it a couple of times. I just want to touch on it. You mentioned uh, someone living in a larger size body. Yeah. Think is, I've never heard that before. I think it's such a cool way of saying it because it highlights we are not our bodies. Right? Like you are more than, than your body. Yeah. And tell me about that. Like where did that come from, that term? Like I think it's a beautiful way to talk about it. Language is super interesting. Um, I think looking at this mindfulness approach, which has, I guess, um, background in in Buddhist teachings, um, I'm studying a meditation course at the moment because I really believe there is a big link Mm. in this. And I think that can be one of the reasons um, why we might be suffering from some some of these struggles in our society, I guess, Um, a disconnection from some of our spiritual understandings Um, but this idea that this belief that we are what our body is and that even the belief that we are one single thing I am not actually Claire and this this can get really deep but I am I have more bacteria in my gut than I do there's stars in the sky and that's just the gut there's bacteria all when I put my mascara on this morning I'm painting that many bugs my cells are regenerating I am physically not the same Claire that I was when I was 18 so why can I expect that I should be the same size I was when I was 18 Um, but coming back to language it is Mm. absolutely fascinating how we use language and you look at it in terms of mental health or you can look at it in all different areas mm. what people prefer to term themselves by yeah. um so i choose not to use language such as overweight yeah or obese um yeah. there's obvious and quite well-known issues with using bmi yeah. as it yeah. is um there's also a bunch of research to say people who are in the overweight category actually live longer than people in the normal weight yeah, category right. yeah. um so i choose not to use it um Fat is an interesting term. I think that's something, a very personal one. Mm. So when looking at language, I try and use as sensitive as possible because you never know who you're talking to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is, uh, I think it's such an amazing way to go about it. And you're right, like language has such a profound impact mm-hmm. on everything. It, it really does shape our experience in the world. I know there's been some really cool studies that have shown. Uh, so uh, Inuit populations, so Eskimo populations have something ridiculous like 30 times the number of words that we have to describe snow and ice. Really? Um, because obviously that's the climate that they yeah. live in and are raised in. And they've found that they now experience and can see and feel and ex- like distinguish snow at a whole different level to what we can. Mm. And they've seen, there's been other amazing ones. This is, we're going to go deep and on mind blowing things. <laughs> they did an amazing one with um, a sub-Saharan African tribe that has never had need for the like a word to represent blue because they are living in these dense jungles and rainforests, but they have way more words than we have to describe different shades of green. Mm. And they did this incredible study where they showed people from like a Western culture, like the US, eight different green circles and said, so eight green circles that all looked the same, like pick the one that's different and no one could do it. And they showed it to these sub-Saharan African tribes and they instantly all pointed at the same one. And it was two shades different on the color palette. But because they have such a wide array of language for green, they can their brain is trying to see it so differently. 
And then they showed them again, they showed all the researchers seven lime green circles and one sky blue circle and said, point to the different one. And obviously all the Western researchers went that one. When they showed it to the sub-Saharan African tribe, they couldn't pick blue from green because they don't have a word for it. And so I think you're so right. We're like, it, it's really coming out so much more in science now, how much our language, both internal self-talk yeah. and external, um, literally shapes our experience of life that and is, of ourself. That's fascinating. So, yeah, it's amazing stuff. Yeah. Amazing stuff. So to hear you using language in a way that's actually empowering around yeah. topics that normally and traditionally people are using very disempowering language around, yeah. I think is amazing within itself, mm-hmm. uh, let alone the tools that you do as well. Yeah. Um, which I'd love to pick your brain about, you know, with intuitive eating, mindful eating, I think they're incredible concepts and we can sort of go, yes, these are great things that are going to make a difference. How do you do it? How do you do it, right? Like what's the actual <laughs> tangibility? What do I sink my teeth into in this case, literally? Right? <laughs> Everyone's journey is going to be different. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, I guess, backing up from what you said, how that can be relevant to intuitive mm. eating is looking at even the terms of hungry and full. So we're using this blanket idea when what is hungry? Hungry is feels different to everyone and there's so many different levels of hungry and there's so many different levels of full. So that's where some sort of mindfulness or meditation practice can come in when it's actually rather than going, I've noticed I'm feeling uncomfortable in my body or I don't like my self-care, I have to control and change everything. Mm. I would love to see a mindset shift of I'm feeling uncomfortable, I want to change something, I'm going to come in and actually be a witness, a non-judgmental witness and see what's going on in my body. So you could do maybe, I think I would like to do like a short meditation before you go into it. So you're aware of your body, um, look at your breathing Mm -hmm. and actually practicing it a few different times of the day and going, what does hungry actually feel like to me? Yeah. Um, So people who've gone on chronic dieting, often um, they miss those cues so their body doesn't give them a cue. So if you think of, I'm really bad at replying to people. So if you think of someone who's trying to message me, they'll like trying to get me to come to something. They'll keep messaging me, keep messaging me, keep messaging me. And if I'm the type of person who doesn't say sorry, or there's a certain amount of parties I don't turn up to, it's just going to stop talking. Um, So they miss that. Or on a more of a moderate level, you're getting messages, getting messages, getting messages, and then it goes away. And they're probably gone away to go get something like, yeah. I don't know, like something to bang against your head and be yeah, like, yeah. come on, listen to me. And so when the hunger does come on, it's going to be a lot stronger. Yeah. So it's understanding how do I tell when I'm at that point where I'm ready to eat food mm. and when I stop. So hunger for me often feels like I feel a bit of a space here yeah. and a bit of a rumbling down here yeah. it usually starts in the back of my mouth uh-huh. a bit of an open spaciousness when I'm just starting to feel hungry yeah. and I notice that I'm starting to think about food yeah but this isn't the point where I know that if I wait a little bit longer yeah. I'm going to be I'm going to enjoy the taste of the food more mm. and then so it's kind of using those processes so there's some tools that you can use that are kind of like um know one to ten things and then you can put in how you feel along the process oh yeah an experiment and like we were saying before you know there'll be sometimes when you eat when you're super full or like in your you might get it wrong and it's just playing and experimenting so I think that as a first step Mm. um along with a mindfulness exercise Mm -hmm. so um people may have heard of the the raisin yeah the raisin challenge but it's eating one raisin over one hour or something yeah yeah, i know one guy i follow on uh, social media live streamed himself doing it and i was like (laughs) 
what am I watching right now? Like, what does my life come to? <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully they don't then hear them eating noises in the life. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, you don't have to go that extreme every time you're eating. So I definitely don't eat really slow every single time I eat, but coming to understand and recognize. So I can tell you your body's designed in a way that the start of your meal is going to taste really good. Yep. And if you're the person that tends to reach for the salt, that like this when you're halfway through, mm-hmm. that's because your body is telling you that I'm starting to get satisfied. Oh wow! So you actually, the, if you notice yourself, the taste of what you're eating actually diminishes, and so does the enjoyment as you keep going. I can tell you that, and you go, "Oh wow!" Yeah. But you're probably going to forget it unless you actually experience Practice and, it. and yeah. know things within your own body. So I think. If you're starting this process, there's a whole heap of stuff that you can read in mm. Googling those terms. But if there's anything I can recommend is to actually do the practice of it rather yep. than just intellectualizing it. Yeah. You need to feel it within your body for it to actually stick. It's that aha sort of moment yes. of like, oh, okay, get it. That makes sense within me. And everyone's body is completely different. Yeah, so it's the difference between, um, you know, conceptual knowledge and actually like experienced knowledge right? Yeah. that real concreted oh this is what we're talking right. about like this is it right? yeah um and i think it's so cool and i love that analogy i want to circle back and highlight it for everyone listening because i think it's such a valuable analogy that idea of yeah how are other people going to respond if you're repeatedly not listening mm-hmm. or not responding yeah right they're either going to ignore or they're going to get louder and throw something at you right? <laughs> think th- Think about that like with our body. I love that idea. Like if I'm yep. not listening to my body's cues, if I'm repeatedly ignoring it or stifling it, mm. what's going to happen? Probably yeah. much the same response. And how would you respond, you know, how would you treat a loved one in that way, you know, in, in terms of listening to them? Exactly. Can you do it with, with your body as well? Yeah. Um, and that was a process I went through even like with that exact texting analogies. I wasn't doing that to my friends and I was like, I'm not being a good friend because mm. I'm not valuing their time. Mm. And so – you can think about it the same to yourself. What would I do if I was the best version of myself mm-hmm. to love and care for me? It would be to listen to my body when it's trying to talk to me. Yeah. And then in saying that, if you don't listen to it sometimes, yeah. not feeling guilty about yeah. it, taking this with a level of lightness and, and humour as yeah. well because it's all a process and it doesn't have to be done exactly perfect. Yeah. 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 And, you know, you mentioned obviously we've got this, I love that you said at the start, we, we, our body has an inbuilt way of knowing. Yeah. Right? It, it, it knows what's good for it. And if we can listen to that and, mm-hmm. yeah, supplement with some external knowledge to, you know, really bolster it but not yeah. rely on that wholly and solely rather than get back to yeah. to core, to root, back to us. Yeah. And practice will, will teach you that. I think mm. a lot of people when they hear, you know, take away the moral value of food, you know, that foods, you know, you can eat any food you want, chocolate isn't bad, they go, and I'm just going to eat chocolate all day. Yeah. And I can tell them, no, you're not, because I know from clients and I know from myself that that's not what happens, but you yeah. have to experience yourself. So even it's like an activity that I might use in some situations with certain people is that they really think they have a food that they literally have no control over yep. um, is to put it everywhere. So say, do you have like a particular food? that you Ice cream. Ice oh, cream. I'm already thinking of it. <laughs> It's going to be a difficult. I was one like, you... I've got it in the freezer yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you're going to need a lot of little eskies for this one. Yeah. But putting it in your car, putting it in your workspace, putting it absolutely everywhere you go in the day, in your 
I feel uncomfortable recommending you to put it in like a handbag or in your pocket. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not for the ice cream. Um, but having it everywhere and giving yourself unconditional permission to eat it. Yeah. And you might, as you can imagine, go, I don't want to use crazy, just go nuts yeah, yeah. and eat heaps and heaps of it. But they will get to a point where you're sick of it. And then you gradually will go through this process of going, realizing your body knows, yes, I can have it. Yeah. So it'll have it when it wants to have it. And that's what happens in restriction. Yes. So if you're restricting yourself, you don't, your body doesn't know that you are actually in an environment where you can get as much food as you want. So yeah. it goes back to survival mode to so say I'm in a desert. Yeah. It, th- it can, might as well think that I'm in a desert. And so your body's going to be going, well, shit. I need to find food, otherwise I'm going to starve. So you start thinking about food constantly and obsessing about that one thing. Mm. So as soon as you say, I can't have ice cream, yeah, your body's probably more likely to want to have the ice cream. So that's where the essence comes from, completely unrestricting the eating. Yep. And your body, there might be processes. You might eat a lot of ice cream yeah. for a while, but eventually your body's going to tell you what it wants. Yeah. What if, so, example, if you're restricting, often I'll get people say, oh, but at nighttime I really want chocolate and I really want ice cream. Mm. And they get annoyed at their body. Yeah. But I think this process is learning to respect your body and know that it's doing the best thing. Because what your body's doing in that moment is going, shit, I've been starved. It amazingly knows the types of foods and what they taste like to tell you to crave them where it's going to get that quick hit. That's because amazing. it knows it needs energy. It yeah. knows what it is. It tells your taste buds. It tells your mind and you start craving it. I think that's like that gives me goosebumps. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And when we look at it from that lens, we can really, I feel, it becomes easier to appreciate the complexity and the beauty of our body. Yeah. And what it can do. Amazing. Right? It's yeah. um, so cool to look at it from that perspective and from that lens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could obviously talk to you about this stuff all day because I love it. I think it's <laughs> fascinating. We share a lot of uh, uh, shared passions about you know, the mind and, and a total health and well-being from a broader perspective than just a lot of the you know, current mainstream methods. But we do have a, a time on a, on a podcast. And I always like to finish with, if you could have people who have listened to this or watched on YouTube just go away with like one, two, three max, like mm-hmm. key take-home messages, what would they be? I think that would be to question that moment and notice your moment when you go, there's something wrong in my life, I need to control it. And Mm. look at it a little bit deeper and come to yourself with more self-compassion and listen in each moment and go, "What what is my body trying to tell me? rather than automatically reaching for a rule or, or some kind of guidance and go, what... If I was loving and caring for my body, if my body was my best friend, what would I do for it in this moment? Mm. Incredible. Incredible. (laughs) Thank you so much again for coming in. And if people um, really resonate with this and they'd like to keep in touch with you and and sort of um, find out more about these topics, how would they best do that at the moment? Uh, At the moment, it's probably on Instagram. Um, It's a fairly new Instagram. Um, It's, I think... I'll give you the handle. I think it's yeah. like Claire Jones meditating dietitian or something like Perfect. that. Perfect. We'll put it in the show notes for those <laughs> yeah. listening. It's in, uh, and for, on YouTube, it will be in the description. Excellent. Perfect. Well, thank you again for coming in. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you giving your expertise, your time, your knowledge to help our listeners and our audience. And yeah, I know they've got a lot of value out of this because I definitely have also been talking about it. I really appreciate mm-hmm. it. Thanks, Declan.
What an incredible interview with the amazing Claire Jones. I highly encourage you to reach out and connect with her and to really start taking your own journey in that space of intuitive eating and being more mindful and compassionate with yourself. There was so much value offered in this conversation around having a sense of almost curious compassion when it comes to your body and, and to food and your own well-being that I know personally firsthand has made a huge difference in my own life and I've seen the impact it makes in other people's life too. So I highly encourage you to explore that further. As always, if you love this episode, you can help us spread the word about it by screenshotting it, sharing it on social media platforms. Make sure you use the hashtag BU with Declan Edwards and tag BU underscore coaching. We love interacting with you guys and seeing these valuable messages and stories spread so we can positively impact more lives. Other than that, if you would like to take the next step in your emotional intelligence and well-being journey, you can check out a bunch of free resources that we have on our website at www.bucoaching.org. We've got a free online course for you to get started called The 5 Steps to Meaningful Change. You can also order copies of my book and enroll in some webinar trainings to help you take that next step in looking after your own well-being. But you know how we end these things. Until the next time we're talking, be empowered, be exceptional, and be you.